welcome to the seventh reading of the book, The Holy Ground of Honey Creek, Reflections of a Small Town Pastor, written by Reverend I. Dean Jordan, read to you by John Jordan. Reverend Jordan began his ministry in 1950, and he spent nearly 40 years in the ministry, primarily with the United Methodist Church. And then when he retired for the first time, he served four years as a part-time pastor for the United Church of Christ. Near the end of his ministry, he realized that for the past 50 years, there has been no other time as challenging to our faith as the current one. And someone should write a book about it, not a grand sweeping book, but insights gained serving local congregations as they struggle to put their faith into practice. This book is a collection of essays, sermons, and liturgical material that he has gathered during his time as a ministry. As I read through the book, preparing for these podcasts, I realized that these sermons and essays are still of note and of use to our time and place. I hope as you listen to them, you come to that same realization. Today we're going to be doing a letter and two essays. The letter is from Christmas of 1987. The footnote says, a pastor sends many letters in the course of parish ministry, mostly in regard to administration, finance, and promotion. A few have a sense of God's presence, and only a few of those convey a sense of holiness. Dear friends, one of the most delightful lines about Christmas giving, or giving at all, was spoken on the American theater stage without connection to this holy day, while revealing a culture that did not know Christmas. In Fiddler on the Roof, a beggar asks for a gift and was turned down with a gruff comment, No, I've had a bad day. So, you had a bad day, replied the beggar, and I have to suffer? I was reminded of this in reading a news report this week saying the government is cutting back on the commodities given to the poor because it was running out of surplus foods. So, I thought, this government will feed the poor only when the rest of us have more than we need. Obviously, it isn't the hungry people that motivates our actions, but the costly storage of food surpluses. Jesus began his ministry with the proclamation of the prophet Isaiah, who said, The Spirit of the Lord is in those who are urgent in their healthfulness to those in need. We who celebrate the Spirit of Christ in our lives will then readily respond to human need not on the basis of our surplus, but on the basis of their need, even if meeting that need means sharing our basics, our only loaf of bread, our last pound of bacon, our coat, our fuel, our shelter. Of course, we cannot do this unless there is inside ourselves a spirit of generosity, a feeling of gladness welling up out of our awareness of how much we already have and received in life and health and our loaf of bread. And even more basically, an awareness of how much love we receive from God and others who loved us first. The financial officers who are responsible for paying our congregation's bills hope you will respond to this letter with a generous Advent gift of money. But I know that even more, they hope you are inspired with such Christ-like gladness that you'll be singing joy to the world all season, all year, all life long. To know within yourself the urgent desire for helpfulness Isaiah wrote about and Jesus lived. Love, Dean. The next reading is an essay known as Humanness and Godliness Go Together, 
written in the fall of 1987 for the East Troy News. Do you suppose Jesus ever told a funny story to his disciples and then joined in the response as they laughed and slapped their hands in glee? I think he must have. He was human, you know. Life would have been awfully monotonous and boring if he talked theology all the time. As I think of the many Jesus movies I have seen, the thing that makes them so boring is that Jesus is always portrayed emotionally dual-chromatic, portentously serene, or in the agony of death. I can't imagine a human being living for 30-some-odd years and registering only two emotions. There are indications in the Gospels that people liked having Jesus around. They enjoyed his company. My experience as a preacher leads me to believe that if Jesus was in a preaching mode all the time, this would not have been the case. I wish someone along the line had recorded a couple of his funny stories. I wonder what other human traits he had. Do you suppose Jesus wondered to himself something like, God, if you wanted me to be the savior of the world, why didn't you let me be born somebody important? A governor or a high priest or something? I'm sure a thought like this occurred to him. Some thought of this kind had to be behind those three satanic temptations. But apparently Jesus accepted himself as he was, son of a small town carpenter and his wife. God, he must have thought, it seems ridiculous to me. But if I'm to be the savior of the world, you've got to use me as I am. I'm willing if you can do it. And God could use, did use, and is using Jesus for this purpose. Do you suppose Jesus opened his eyes some mornings, looked at the early morning sunlight coming through the windows, and grumbled, Oh no, not another day so soon. He had a heavy schedule, worked double shifts some days. He must have enjoyed sleeping in on occasion as much as any of the rest of us. But he had lots of initiative. The stories are clear on this point. He was a self-starter. He didn't have to have someone else always pointing out the things that needed doing and then riding his shoulder to see that he got them done. And then, in addition to his initiative and confidence in himself, he had confidence in others, too. But I wonder if he ever lay awake at night, like a committee chairman sometimes does, or a job foreman, or a company executive, or a children's teacher, and go over in his head the tasks that needed doing, and the persons available to get them done, and complain to God, if you expect me to get all this done, why didn't you send me better leadership staff? Maybe he did. But the records read more positively. He really did have confidence in those around him, confidence that those men and women with God's help could actually initiate a world-changing style of living and thinking. I suspect it was his confidence in them that enabled them to do so much. If Jesus was a human, he must have known these human traits and more. It seems that early on it was so easy to call Jesus God that it took almost 400 years to get it firmly established that he was a human being. Now in our time, it seems a lot of people again think of him only as God. But I think we'll never get it right until we think of him as both at the same time. But then I think of us humans in a similar way. 
human beings with God stuff in them. Yes, I think Jesus told a funny story now and then and laughed with his disciples. We know he cried. I like to think of him now as traveling to and fro, spending a lot of his time stopping to chat with the folks on the street corners, in the parks, on their coffee breaks, or over the backyard barbecues, enabling them to laugh and enjoy their existence and be glad to be involved in helping God make his creation a happier place. As a matter of faith, I believe Jesus is helping us in our time to do the very same things. Amen, amen, amen. In this last essay, When You've Got a Good Bottle, was first printed in May of 1988 in the East Troy News. On the top shelf of my bookshelves here in the study is a black and white, golden-eyed, carved wood bird known as Burroughs Golden Eye. It's not bad at all, I tell myself, even if it is my first attempt. I've seen pictures of fabulous, highly detailed, carved, and beautiful wooden ducks. I've held a few such beauties in my hands. Mine isn't that quality at all. I know, but it isn't bad. Anyone can tell it is a water bird. And I tell you why this is so. I had a good model to follow as I carved away on the blocks of wood that became the bird sitting on my top bookshelf. My friend, Roy Ebert, is a talented carver and woodworker. He gave me the two pieces of wood rough-shaped on his saw and then loaned me a bird he had carved that I could examine as I carved away. Now, mind you, I'm not going to enter my carving in the Woolworth County Fair. I don't even mention it to most visitors in my office. But there it sits, on my top shelf, reminding me that having a good model makes a world of difference. That's a pretty good thought for each of us as we go through the life we've been given. I may carve another duck, carve several maybe, and get better each time. But we only live once. We've got to do our very best the first time through. That's why picking a good model to live by can make a world of difference. I was blessed in this respect long, long before I had given any thought to the matter. In the style of life, my mother and father lived. Many's the time I've been helped in a decision by remembering them and thinking how they would respond to a situation. Then there was Honest Abe Lincoln, with his zeal for learning, his passion for righteousness, and General U.S. Grant, who, as a youth, tried never to retrace his steps when he ran an errand. They've been models for me all my life. In more recent years, I've been blessed with saints in my parishes. Ordinary Christians, if there can be such a thing as an ordinary Christian, who would blush to hear themselves named as saints but whose lives of loving service and faithful virtue have encouraged me all through the years. I urge you to try it. Pick someone whose life seems to illustrate what living is all about in terms of kindness and humor and all-round goodness. Just patterning your conduct after them will make a big difference. Maybe if you can find out where they get the resources to live the way they do, you can tap into those same sources then you'll find yourself inspired to live better all the time. 
the thing to remember is when you've got a good model even a beginner can carve a duck out of a block of wood amen 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 this ends our seventh reading from the book the holy ground of honey creek next time on our next podcast we'll be doing two more essays one called homo hetero and full citizen and the other god invites you to life till next time i'm john jordan thank you for listening